Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, July 1st, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to our podcast. And with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts. Some might say they're a unique version of the founding fathers responsible for the declaration of investments here to share their insights on this week's market activity. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer. Steve Haight, Head of Equities. Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. And Don Severno, Senior Lead Research Analyst covering international markets. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our key questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, we recently shared our Wealth Institute's summer reading list, including recommended books from today's podcast guests that might pique your interest to enjoy as we head into the long weekend. So as far as this week's economic data goes, we had mixed results. First, uh, new orders for manufactured durable goods in May increased 0.7%, which was up the last seven of eight months following a 0.4% increase in April. We've got this Atlanta Fed GDP Now estimate that's really vacillated for Q2 of 2022 between, in the last couple days, between positive 0.3% and negative 1%. And back on June 15th, it was zero. So George will talk a little bit more about this, is my guess in terms of what we think GDP now estimates mean. Other than that, we've got the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Index for home prices continues to increase across the U.S. at about a 20% annual gain from April of last year. We've also got some negative sentiment in terms of the conference board's latest reading on on consumer confidence, which showed consumer expectations in June fell to their lowest level since 2013, and expectations have fallen well below where they were before, suggesting weaker growth in the second half of 2022 as potentially a growing risk of recession by year end. Initial unemployment claims for the week continue to be low at about 231,000. We've also got the Bureau of Economic Analysis reported personal consumption expenditures, which actually increased 0.2% for May, which means that the consumers are continuing to spend. It is positive, but if we look at it relative to inflation or inflation adjusted spending, what's called real PCE actually decreased 0.4%. And this is the first time in the year that real PCE was negative and prior months were revised lower, indicating a slower, slower, slowdown in the economy. Last but not least, in terms of inflation from the same report from the Bureau of Economic Analysis, core personal expenditures from the Fed's preferred measure for May, which excludes food and energy, increased 4.7% from one year ago, which has come down from prior levels for the third month in a row. So George, as we start with you, as always, when we think about this from an aggregate perspective, what does this mean from our forecast looking into the future and how it might affect investors in terms of their portfolios? George? Well, Brian, you're right. It was kind of a mixed week for sure. I think um, we're starting to see those some cracks uh, emerge throughout the economy and some of the data that we've seen so far. And I think the problem that we're trying to uh, wrestle with and markets are trying to cope with is the fact that I think the Fed in hindsight now, probably waited a bit too long to uh, to try and tighten and try to lose, um, to, to take the, some of the steam out of the economy, if you will, 
you know, typically they, um, they're kind of correcting and, and kind of uh, taking liquidity away when momentum is, uh, is running hot. And uh, it has been running hot, but more recently it started to cool and the Fed is just kind of catching up with that. So I think the Fed is kind of starting this backdrop of, of tightening monetary conditions um, at a time when the momentum is starting to slip a little bit. And I think people are getting a bit concerned um, that maybe the Fed might be in a position that they're just playing catch up and might over tighten a little bit. We've said many times on these calls that um, kind of the playbook we've been using is the 94, 95 mid-cycle slowdown. Um, that was a time when we didn't really officially enter a recession. And, um, you know, there were certain things like housing, manufacturing, you know, some parts of the consumer market and even jobs uh, were kind of in recession, meaning that they were starting to see some slowdown there too. But it wasn't really an official recession as people like to call it. And uh, it certainly felt like one, but it's more of a, of a mid-cycle slowdown as people refer to it as. And so that was kind of our, our thought that this might uh, play out this year. And we've kind of got that right now. There are some gauges that people are watching. I think it's probably a, a big obsession amongst people in Wall Street to focus on what's happening with this thing called the Atlanta Fed GDP now, nowcast. It's not a forecast, it's called a nowcast. And what it refers to is really just kind of the near-term indicator of where uh, economic growth might be. And the number we got revised down this past week, uh, which actually would kind of tip us into a recession, meaning that the last quarter, the first quarter, was negative by about a percent and a half or so. Uh, the second quarter based on this nowcast uh, also suggests another decline of about a percent or so. I think there's a lot of noise in those numbers. Um, and again, I think some of the online trends aren't probably as bad as, as people might think. Uh, but we did get some mixed signals that suggest that things are, are surely slowing down. You know, there was a big clunker out there with respect to retail sales. I think it was down about a percent and a half as well. Some of that really centered on what happened in the goods sector, where we've seen and probably an understandable deceleration of spending on goods at the expense of services, meaning people are traveling more and buying less stuff, basically. Um, and I think there's also some trends underneath that trend uh, as well that are, are somewhat worrisome in the sense that more and more consumers are relying on savings, credit, and other things to fund those purchases. Uh, we've also got the fact that real incomes, when you take a look at inflation, uh, that really bites into income in a pretty big way. That's also now negative territory. Housing has been kind of a mixed bag. You mentioned home prices are, um, are doing quite well, but the overall trends of new activities, new sales is starting to weaken as well. And then lastly, on the employment side, you know, this is where I think that the Fed has got to really kind of pay attention in the sense that jobless claims have actually started to inflect higher. More and more job cuts are being announced at the company level. But to put that in perspective, Brian, you know, we've got this number of about 230,000 people flying, I'm sorry, We've got about 230,000 people filing for unemployment this past week. Um, that's down a lot from where it was a year ago. That number was about 400,000, but it's also up from about 200K just three months ago. So again, that, that trend is, in, is not going in the right direction. So again, we've got this backdrop where the economy is slowing. I think it's probably not um, in collapsing mode right now. I, mean, I don't think it's contracting or shrinking, but it is slowing pretty, uh, pretty rapidly. We've also got some really mixed pictures, uh, mixed reads with respect to inflation. Uh, the headline number, I think, is going to say pretty strong, and that's one thing that the Fed signaled more recently, which takes into account things like housing and, and energy, which has really been, uh, been really boiling up, as we've talked about. But this other indication of inflation, the one that the Fed historically has watched more, um, more frequently, is known as the PCE, or the Personal Consumption uh, Expenditures. And that only, I'm using air quotes there, only rose four, uh, a little over 4% year over year. Contrast that with the headline number of, of, of uh, CPI we got a few weeks ago, which was closer to eight and a half percent. So I think the Fed is kind of in a quandary right now with respect to which number to look at, frankly, and uh, and basically how this kind of plays out from here. 
I think if we are in a recession, I think it could uh, it could be more of a, a modest one. Um, no really um, great foresight there, but I do think that it's more likely to be a bit more modest, given that some of the big imbalances we've seen in the past um, really aren't apparent this time around. So you know, meanwhile, we've kind of seen a significant, um, obviously, repricing of risk for the stock market, and I kind of wonder, Steve, how much do you think is already discounted uh, by the decline we've seen so far in the first half of this year? Uh, it's an interesting question, George. I mean, the first half of the year was dominated by multiple compression. We've seen the S&P 500 earnings multiple compress from 21 and a half as we turned the year to just below 16 as we sit today. And over that period of time, we've seen earnings climb from 220 roughly on a forward 12-month rolling basis to, to 239 as we sit today. Um, so clearly, we've been, uh, uh, you know, the market. The market has been uh, adjusting to the to the new higher rate world. My my concern is we flip the calendar to the second half of the year after we have just experienced the worst first half uh, for the S and P five hundred in the last fifty years. Um, is that as we start to price in an economic slowdown, the 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 the, the two thirty nine number that I mentioned, that number has to come down for the S and P. So we're two thirty nine and change today. Two weeks ago, we we're two thirty nine fifty. So that number it may not seem like it's much of a change, but the direction is the most important thing, and it looks to me like it's rolled over a little bit here um, as we head into this earnings season. Um, and if that trend down start, continues, you can get the double whammy of having uh, a lower multiple on a lower earnings number, and then that opens the door to potentially another leg down for the equity market. That being said, I think people, uh, market participants, are really anticipating that that earnings number is going to come down. And it's kind of the whole idea of if if something is is well understood by the market that you may not get the whole... Um, you, you may not get the reaction you think. So like earnings can come down, but maybe we've already experienced, as you said, a, a lot of the decline based on, on that. Um, it's something that typically happens uh, around this time in an economic cycle. So if you go back and you look at forward earnings relative to trailing earnings. And what I mean by this is if you compare where forward earnings estimates were 12 months ago to where trailing earnings came in actually today. So it gives you the, 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 the difference between what analysts thought earnings would be today and what earnings come in at. If you look back historically at recessionary periods, the, the analysts always get it wrong. There's a huge gap between where earnings are versus where they come in. Um, the same thing actually happened when we came off the COVID low. Everybody marked down earnings a ton, and then you know, 12 months later, the earnings were 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 high uh, relative to where the analysts were. So that was kind of the flip side of it. So there's been uh, really four major errors in this this time series if you look back on it. Um, and and I think that you're gonna we're likely gonna see that again. The analysts are gonna be high. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have that we have to have a, a, a big smash in the market from here, though. Uh, quite honestly, we've we've kind of already gotten that out of our system. My big concern right now continues to be credit. Um, I think for for things to to take another leg down, uh, we really have to see credit deteriorate markedly from here. Uh, we have seen credit widen. 
Uh, here in the last week, we've seen high yield uh, CDX go back toward the levels that we saw toward the end of June, uh, where we had high yield CDX peak at almost 600 interday. Uh, it were at 568 today. Uh, that's deteriorated even on days when the equity market has been positive over the last week to week and a half. And that's something that I, I don't want to see. I really would like to see high yield CDX start to show some signs of improvement. Um, and as long as it doesn't, we, we continue to have a, a bit of a tenuous market situation in my view. Um, high yield CDX, if, if you could give me one indicator uh, over the last 12 years to look at um, in order to try to determine equity market direction, that would be it. Um, and and that's, that's really kind of my, my big concern right now is that we could see more deterioration in credit. But you know, for now, it's a holiday weekend. We've got low liquidity conditions. Uh, we'll, we'll see how we move through, through the next week. So Steve, great comments as always. Thanks for those terrific insights. Let's move over to Rajiv to get his thoughts on the credit markets. Rajiv? Yeah, I agree, Steve. I think that uh, you know, credit spreads have, uh, you know, we've talked about credit spreads being orderly and moving uh, wider, but not really at an alarming pace, but you are absolutely right, the CDX. Uh, if we look at that, that really does give you an indication that uh, the volatility that we've seen in CDX uh, lately, where we've seen ourselves move wider. Uh, it's a very thinly traded market. However, it, it is a strong indicator of where spreads are going to go, credit spreads and equity markets as well. So we've been looking at that as well. Um, I think what happens here is that uh, credit spreads maybe are, are having the benefit, corporate cash credit spreads are having the benefit of a Fed being there and perhaps providing liquidity. CDX market is not as uh, as willing to accept that. I think they're much more um, indicative of where we are in the markets right now. And I think that we will see more of that, um, where we'll see more volatility as uh, CDX always seems to move forward and move wider. So we've been seeing a lot of that lately. And I think the other thing I've been seeing is that uh, talks of uh, high yield, specifically if we talk about CDX, high yield has really been a strong indicator for the equity markets and even the cash markets as well. I mean, we see the economic data this week, and specifically, if you look at the yield curve, uh, we've seen the 10-year move well below 3% yesterday, not maybe well below, but did move below 3% yesterday at 2.97%. There is a run to safety haven assets. It could have been a month-end phenomenon. It could have been a quarter-end phenomenon, but we did see a run to safety haven assets, and we did see credit spreads blow out uh, when that happened. We also see uh, treasuries receive a bid uh, yesterday. The front end and the belly of the curve also saw yields moving lower. Uh, that bid was maintained into the close of the month. Uh, we saw fives and thirties, uh, the widest spread that we've seen, which is just 12 basis points, but that's the widest we've seen uh, uh, since uh, probably the last two months. So there is a flight to quality and that is reflected in the CDX. It's also reflected in credit spreads. So to Steve's point earlier about how sometimes market participants are, are always kind of fighting less war and perhaps um, looking for something that never really happens, one thing that people have been pretty bearish on this year is what's happening in China. And interestingly, I would kind of note that the Chinese markets are actually outperforming again, and they've had a pretty good quarter relative to other parts of the world. So Don, I'd love to get your take on what's happening overseas, um, you know, China, Europe, and all things in between. 
Sure. Thank you, George. Um, so yeah, forward earnings expectations that Steve was talking about earlier, uh, we saw some of that change earlier this year in China, kind of in sympathy with uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and just seeing how the Western reaction to that invasion was. Uh, we, we saw Russian securities marked down to basically zero uh, almost immediately within the equity markets. Uh, and other places around the world where we see geopolitical tensions, such as China uh, with the West, uh, we, we saw kind of the same thing. So at, at, at one point in April of this year, the Chinese markets, both onshore and offshore, were down more than 30%. Uh, they've, they've come roaring back. And actually, as of this morning, uh, they are right under a bull market. So a bull market is defined as a 20% rise from trough to peak, and uh, they're right at 19% since the beginning of, or, or since the lows in April. Uh, and in China, what uh, the other problems were really um, kind of them treading water with their COVID zero policy. Shanghai was closed. Shanghai is one of their manufacturing centers where a lot of their products get sent to the West. Uh, they, Shanghai was actually fully closed for almost two months, but we're seeing things reopen there. Actually, Disneyland Shanghai reopened earlier this week. Uh, museums, art galleries, tourist attractions, uh, even cinemas are going to open soon. So they're, they're back to more normal. Uh, but what the West has expected to happen once Shanghai reopened, we have not seen that yet. So here's where, you know, China might be treading water a little bit, even though expectations have gone significantly higher over the past couple of weeks. So um, what, what we've seen is the manufacturing PMI actually did rise above 50, but just barely uh, in June here. And that, that signals expansion services PMI is back to pre-pandemic averages, you know, 53, 54 range. Uh, and even with that higher sentiment, we're seeing weakened demand for products in the West. So factories are actually starting to cut production within China and they're dismissing workers. And this is a huge deal because the export sector in China employs over 180 million people. It's about a third of their non-farm payroll uh, total workers. Uh, we, we're seeing a rise in urban unemployment. Uh, the young unemployed are higher than they've ever been in China. So even with that backdrop, we're, we're, we're still seeing kind of money flow into China from foreign investors as maybe the drop earlier this year uh, or taking capital out of the Chinese markets earlier this year was maybe a bit overblown. But we're still kind of on the fence. We're still treading water on where the actual expectations are going to be moving forward within China. Um, and then finally, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about Europe. So uh, Europe is mired in uh, the... the uh, the ancillary effects of the war between Russia and Ukraine. And what we're seeing in Western Europe and the European Union uh, in particular is huge inflation in energy prices. This is nothing new. This has been going on since the invasion. Uh, but we're also seeing the European Central Bank, uh, headed by Christine Lagarde, uh, getting more hawkish on rates, but starting to use the term gradualization or gradualism to describe the process that they're going to be raising rates. So the current expectation is that there'll be a 25 basis point policy rate rise in July, maybe another 50 basis points in September, and then gradual as needed hikes after that. Uh, but there's the optionality to kind of take a further step out, get more hawkish um, in, in the meantime, if necessary. 
Uh, also, she signaled that they're not going to return to the pre-pandemic disinflationary environment that is no longer being priced in a year or two years out. Uh, and that uh, they, they do believe within the European Union and the ECB that deglobalization is here to stay, uh, that more countries are going to start uh, trying to manufacture products and keep their inventories uh, within their own borders and that the, the energy and green inflation will continue. And along with this talk earlier this week by, by Christine Lagarde, we also saw manufacturing PMIs fall precipitously from 54.6 to 52, so 22-month low, and services PMI falling from 56.1 to 52.8. While still in the uh, expansion territory, it's one of the biggest drops since the great financial crisis, if you take out the pandemic, uh, because that was its own unique situation there. Um, we'd still expect the GDP maybe to be slightly positive in June, uh, but there's definitely a sharp decline in business confidence, uh, inventories increasing, and the manufacturing hub of the European Union, Germany, seeing a precipitous drop in orders uh, and in manufacturing numbers in general. So uh, definitely, uh, definitely news on slowing economy coming out of Europe and mixed news coming out of China. And with that, we'll pass it back to Brian. So George, Steve, Rajiv, and Don, thanks for your insights. We appreciate it. As we celebrate the 4th of July this weekend, I'm always reminded that independence, democracy, and freedom are not free and are the hallmarks that make our country great. So enjoy time with the family and friends this weekend with picnics, fireworks, and apple pie. Stay safe, everyone. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and Equal Housing Lender. Key private bank and key bank institutional advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp, Insurance Agency USA, Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2022.